You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's a Friday fun show edition of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Matt Miguez here. Broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette, FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Today we're going to talk game four of the NBA Finals. We're also going to get to some super regional talk yet again as a lot of games got underway today. Plus, we'll talk about the Houston Astros, who suffered a pretty significant blow last night to the lineup as Jordan Alvarez is headed to the IL. Let's bring in our producer and co-host, Mr. James Mesh. James, it is Friday, sir. It is Friday, my dudes. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fine, Matt. How about you? You know, one of these days, you're Uh going to be doing great. I'm going to be doing more than fine. Right. Yeah. One of these days we're going to get, uh, I'm doing absolutely fine. Like you, you started off, so I'm doing absolutely fine. <laughs> like, come on, man. Fake it till you make it. Right? Like that. that's the attitude I've always tried to instill. I've always tried to be as real as possible. This guy. Oh, this guy. Why, why are you dropping stuff? I didn't drop it. Anyways. So looking at some at some top stories in sports again, the Houston Astros playing the Cleveland Guardians tonight, a 6-10 first pitch. Pre-game at 5:40 right here on the game. Jordan Alvarez headed to the injured list with a oblique injury that he suffered last night. Uh, the right fielder or the outfielder will return to Houston to receive further evaluation. Uh, He left Thursday's game in the first inning. He felt sore when hitting in the cage before the game and felt more pain when he swung and missed at the first two pitches in his lone at bat. James, with how hot Jordan Alvarez has been, how big of a blow is this to the Houston Astros? I mean, it's another big blow because... You've dealt with multiple injuries so far. You still don't have Michael Brantley back. Jose's back, but he missed a solid chunk to start the season, and now you're down Jordan Alvarez? I mean, that's tough because you've been talking about it multiple times throughout each of these shows. You believe he's deservingly of an MVP candidate. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you're losing an MVP candidate to your team, that's big. Especially when he generates so many runs for you. For sure. You know, already 50 RBIs on the year. Uh, a big blow. Right now he's on the 10-day injured list. Hopefully, you know, it, it doesn't extend further than that uh, because the Astros definitely need him back as quickly as possible. Like, it's not the end of the world since it's right now only a 10-day thing. Correct. And since you still have plenty of games to go, it's not like you got 15 games in your trying to make the play in like you still got a solid record even though you've lost your last three you still feel like you're in a pretty good spot it's just with how off and on the offense is and how consistent and oftentimes you'll only get one or two runs on a night and generally it's Jordan who generates that one or two runs it hurts even with as good of a pitching staff that you have 
After winning the first game 11-4, to the Astros dropped the final three, and they have now lost the season series to Toronto four games to three. Jose Barrios had a very strong night last night, a six-innings performance to earn his third straight decision as the Blue Jays took down the Astros 3-2. to The Astros now 36-27. and They're 18-13 away from Minute Maid Park. They're on the road again tonight in Cleveland to take on the Guardians. Again, 6-10 first pitch tonight. Moving on to the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. A big story coming out this morning for the baseball program. Kendall Rogers of D1 Baseball posted on his Twitter page this morning about a, a move that Cajuns baseball was making. And it, it is one, James, that I believe a lot of people are going to be excited about. Raging Cajuns baseball is looking to hire former All-American left-hander Gunnar Leger as the director of pitcher director of pitching and analytics for the Raging Cajuns baseball program. Now, the key word there in his tweet is looking to hire. Well, Gunnar Leger might have alluded to the fact that it's already done. He posted a tweet on his brand new made Twitter page. Proud to wear Louisiana across my chest again. Let's get to work. And if you look at the Twitter bio of Gunnar Leger's new Twitter page, Louisiana Rage and Cajuns Baseball, Director of Pitching and Analytics. So, something tells me that although the university hasn't officially announced it yet, it might be done. Now, I have said for weeks now that this baseball program needed a pitching coach. And that is no knock to Seth Thibodeau. I love Seth. He's a great coach. He's not a pitching coach, though. He is a head coach. You needed somebody that had a specialty in pitching. And, you know, James, I, I'm no genius, but an All-American? That was a pitcher himself? That was a pitcher himself that played for the Cajuns? this program? <laughs> right. He might know a thing or two. About a thing or two um, about pitching. So, definitely a uh, a very strong higher, if true, for the Raging Cajuns. He was the 2015 Sunbelt Freshman of the Year. He was a second-team Freshman All-American by D1 Baseball, a perfect game Freshman All-American. And then in 2017, he made the Rawlings second-team All-American. He was a Golden Spikes semifinalist and was the Sunbelt Conference Pitcher of the Year. If the hiring is true, and it does happen, how do you feel about the baseball program at this point? Like, do you think they could go to a super regional and even punch their ticket to go to Omaha? I know, like, this is a super Omaha might be a stretch. Like, this is super, super early since Correct. we're not even done with this season. Correct. Omaha might be a stretch, uh, but with the talent that they have returning, there's still some dominoes that that you're waiting to fall. To fall. I mean, who knows? Crazy things could happen. Maybe Julian Brock's back next year. Ooh, that I, I don't know. That'd be great. I don't expect that, but also I didn't expect him to be back for 2023. I thought he was going to get drafted after the 2022 season. So there's still a lot of things that you got to wait to see how they shake out. But with the talent that you have coming back and the guys that you have recruited to come in, I think this program is on the right track 
to be consistently in that postseason conversation. You know, Jay mentioned it earlier this week that it's only happened twice where a Cajun's baseball team has made four straight regionals. I I could see the expectation for 2024 being to make another, to make another regional. Um, again, super regionals, super regionals are hard to do. Out of you know 200 Division One baseball programs, 16 teams get into a super. It's not easy. Um, so look at at this point, making regionals is a success, but it can't satisfy you. Uh, so I'm very interested to see what Gunner's going to bring to this pitching staff because you have some young arms that, that could really make an impact for you. And then, again, with the offensive production that you have returning with guys like Lee Amade, Luke Uhas, Connor Higgs, Mason Zambo, you, you, Kyle DeBarge, You've got a great lineup coming back that I think this team can do a lot of damage in 2024. So a very strong hire from Matt Deggs and the university, again, if it turns out to be true. Uh, second piece of news for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year, or runner-up for Player of the Year, and Lou Henson Player of the Year Award winner, Jordan Brown, has entered the transfer portal. Now, this is not surprising. Uh, th this was actually somewhat expected. Because here's the thing. Jordan Brown put his name in the draft, tested the water there, wasn't much there, so he withdrew it. And now what he's doing is he's putting his name in the portal. He's going to let bigger programs contact him. He's going to test the water again and see what's out there. Just because he enters the portal... Doesn't mean he's not returning. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. Was even though he is going into transfer, it's not like it's a farewell goodbye. He very Correct. easily could just come back if he doesn't like any other places. Plus, I mean, who's to say his dad doesn't in the in the meantime, like kind of talk him into like, hey, for like, sure, like just just come back to the cages, man. Like this this is your best shot for sure. Um, I, I think it's going to be a wait and see process with Jordan. Again, he he's gonna. Talk to some bigger programs because there will be some bigger programs that reach out to him. Um, he, he's going to see what NIL looks like. He's going to see what his playing time looks like. Winning is going to be a factor here. I understand money talks, but if I have learned anything about Jordan Brown and my time covering him, he wants to win. And he's not just going to go somewhere and make a buttload of money and not win anything. So success is going to play a part in this. And also, can the program help him become someone that could be drafted? Because Correct. that was that was the big issue is not many people thought he would be drafted in this upcoming draft in just a couple weeks. Correct. So those are some things to look out for over the next couple of weeks. Also, again, LSU baseball in the Super Regionals. They'll play Kentucky tomorrow at 2 o'clock, first pitch. First pitch at 2, which means pregame's at 1.30 right here on the game. Aaron Gershon of the Cats Paws 247. He'll join us in hour number two to preview that matchup. Ron Mintz is going to join us at 4.30 to talk about the Live PGA merger. We'll also get to the RBC Canadian Open and the U.S. Open. 
And then Jake Crane's going to join us next. Never had him in the first hour, but uh, 4.15, Jake Crane's going to join us for Jake's Takes. We'll get his thoughts on the Super Regionals, the Live Golf merger, all that good stuff here. 4.14 on a Friday, we'll take a timeout. Jake joins us next right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you are looking for great deals, then look no further than AcadianaDeals.com. There are plenty of two-for-one deals, including a $15 voucher to Pizza Artista for only $7.50 or a $30 voucher to La Hacienda for only $15. Once again, head to AcadianaDeals.com to take advantage of these deals and so many more. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Hit high, hammered to left field. Going back, taking a look is Holcomb, and it's gone! Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Driven pretty well and pretty deep to left field. Going back is Varsho, looking up. See you later! Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back, 418, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Super Regionals got underway today. NBA Finals Game 4 tonight. Live Golf and the PGA Tour merged. There's a lot to get to with our guy Jake Crane. Jake, it's been a while, bud. How are you? Yeah, man, doing good. Great to be back. So let, let's start with the big story of the week, and that, of course, is in the world of golf. Uh, Liv and PGA deciding to merge under the same umbrella after bickering with each other for the last two years. Um, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that decision? Well, it, it, look, it's just another example of uh, when you get to these high money levels, whether it be corporations, entities, whatever, that, that make a ton of money, and, and really a lot of them just in general – Morality is just used as a pawn. Uh, I mean, I, I heard Jay Monahan, Jay, Jay Monahan basically say they supported terrorists, and now you make a deal with them. It's all it's it, it's a joke, really. That's what it is. Saudi Arabia went the roundabout way. They wanted to get a stake in in the PGA Tour. They wouldn't let them do it at first, so they went and threw a bunch of money at different players. And the PGA Tour, I think it was a mixture of fear, and they saw a money opportunity, uh, and, and they jumped on it. I think Jay Monahan looks like a clown. I mean, if you're going to sit here and end up doing this, then why would you say the things on the front end that you said? So, I mean, if you're a PGA Tour player now that didn't take that money, you're kind of looking foolish. But watching Rory McIlroy sit up there, who didn't get offered money, talking about how, how they should get paid for, for their loyalty – just goes to show you where we're at in society, where people have to now pay you for their loyalty. But at the end of the day, it's just another example of morality being used as a pawn, whether it be against you or to try and get you to back something up. It's just, again, it's a big joke. To, it, it really is. I don't know another way to say it. How do you think this changes the game, if at all? Because you know there have been rumors of how this is going to work, where you know guys in live are just going to be able to bounce around between live and PGA and vice versa. How do you think this is going to work? Well, look, I I don't know how long lives actually going to be a thing. It's now going to be under one big umbrella. It's it, it's a merger. I don't care what they call it. It's a merger at the highest levels. So I think again, this was just a way for Saudi Arabia to kind of backdoor their way into the PGA Tour and, and get a stake uh, in the golf game. So, look, will Liv be around technically as itself uh, a lot longer? I'm not 100% sure, 
But at the end of the day, I, I mean, it's going to be basically what we had 10, 11 months ago. Game four of the NBA Finals tonight. Denver up 2-1. to one. Do you think it's 3-1 to one, or do you think it's tied headed back to Colorado? Well, I, I picked, before the series, I picked the Nuggets to win it in six. Uh, I think Miami's going to find a way to win this one. Uh, they've got to have their bench step up. Uh, I mean, Struess and Gabe Vincent can't combine for 10 points. Jimmy Butler, while he did have a pretty big points game last game, he's not dominating the game like he did earlier in the playoffs, really all the way up to the finals, because he can't get to the basket as easy. And when you look at the Heat, they, they play harder than anybody. Bam Adebayo is in there rebounding. It's a team effort. But at some point, physics and science just takes over. I mean, the Nuggets are just bigger. What's one way you could combat that? Well, make shots. And the Heat are going to have to shoot well, and it's going to have to be a team effort because you're not stopping Jokic. And at the end of the day, you weren't going to stop Jamal Murray for three quarters like you did in game two consistently. So they better be able to make shots. It better be a team effort. But at the end of the day, uh, when you look at at how it's got to go down for the Heat, They've got to catch some breaks. It's at home. I think it's 2-2 headed back to Denver. All right, let's go to baseball now. Let's talk Super Regionals. Earlier today, we saw Virginia fall to Duke on just a crazy play. It would have been a walk-off three-run homer, got robbed at the wall, and now Duke, a team that came into the NCAA tournament with a losing record, is one win away from Omaha. Baseball's a crazy sport, man. It's it's nuts. That's why, you know, and I put softball in that same category. That's why what Oklahoma's done uh, with Patty Gasso yeah. here, you know, especially in the last two years, is so impressive because, you know, you're a bad bounce away. I mean, there's a lot of things in baseball that you can't control. you still got two more at home if you're Virginia. Uh, I expect it to be even more low scoring these next two games when you look at the way these teams are made up. But, Look, the parity in college baseball is at an all-time high right now. I mean, we watched Coastal Carolina win a championship a few years ago. Indiana State should be hosting a Super Regional. They're not because of certain situations. Uh, Southern Miss is hosting a, a regional, a Super Regional. You just never know. So, you, typically, it's like the college basketball. It's like the NCAA tournament. It's who gets hot at the end of the year. And uh, it's a guessing game right now. I still like uh, TCU to win the whole thing. All right, let's go to Wake Forest, Alabama. You know, Wake Forest is a team where you look at their pitching staff. They have the best ERA in the country. They have one of the better offenses in the country as well. Can can Alabama even keep up with them? Yeah, they can. Look, Alabama's here for a reason, and, and you just got to take your hats off to the, the coaching staff that's there now and the players that are at Alabama dealing with, with what went down with Bo Hannon with the betting scandal. They've kind of rallied around that and, and used it as the chip on their shoulder. But Wake Forest is a complete baseball team. You know, they're the reason, there's a reason they were ranked number one in the country. And, and, and you know, we say this on Cranic Company on the show all the time. The best teams, especially in the postseason when there's multiple games, they're the ones that can beat you in multiple ways. Wake Forest can win the game in a lot of ways. Bama's going to have to catch some breaks like they did in the regional and in late innings. But Wake Forest does a really, really good job of throwing multiple arms at you from both sides. Uh, they have an answer for everything, and they're swinging the bats really well right now. So it's going to be tough. But, look, Alabama played in the SEC, navigated their way through that, navigated their way through a regional. They deserve to be here. Talk to me about Florida and South Carolina and all SEC super regional. South Carolina fought their way to get in here. Florida, you know, number two overall seed. They've got one of the top players in the country. And Jack Coglione, over 30 home runs, pitches as well. Uh, talk to me about this super regional. Yeah, he's the college Shohei. That's that's what he is. Now, you see a little bit more pitching and hitting uh, by one guy in college, obviously, than you see in the major leagues. And it's 
not as easy in the major leagues, but he's a unicorn for sure. You know, even though there's a big difference in the seating, I think these teams are pretty even. Uh, I do think Florida has more arms than the pin, which could be the difference, and obviously they're hosting. Uh, South Carolina, remember, started off on the first half of the year. They were as hot as anybody. I think they were, you know, ranked one, two in the country there for, for some stint and just absolutely fell off the rails after they swept Florida. Uh, so they do know how to beat them. It's tough to beat a good team multiple times. But at the end of the day, I think South Carolina's ingredient or the recipe for success is they got to jump them. Uh, I, I don't think they can win this if it goes to three games. But if they can get out early, kind of the way TCU did against Arkansas, get some momentum and get how do you neutralize a team with more arms than you? You get into the pin earlier than they get into your pin. So uh, I like Florida in the series. But at South Carolina, especially with Petrie, the young kid they got, the freshman, they've got guys in that lineup to where when, when they score in bunches, uh, and they got a lot of pop, they got a lot of power. But Florida, again, there's a reason that they were the number two overall seed. I like the Gators in Gainesville. Headed to Silicon Valley now. Talk to me about Stanford and Texas. The Longhorns had a good run in Coral Gables. Stanford had to had to fight their way through their regional with Texas A&M. Who wins that one? You know, Stanford's got a lot of pitching. Uh, Texas, though, you know, they're riding the high. Went down there to Miami. Uh, really, We know how good Miami is year in and year out kind of put it together. Uh, this is a team that, that can be pretty balanced. But, you know, I, I look at this this matchup, and, and I will always believe, especially in baseball, it comes down to pitching and defense. Stanford's got a really good defense behind them. They make the routine plays routine. I think this is going to be a low-scoring series. I think you're going to see four to threes. Uh, I think you're going to see five to threes somewhere around there, and that favors Stanford. If it does get in the high-scoring range, then you got to look at Texas because Stanford's not a team that relies on scoring seven, eight, nine, ten runs a game to be able to win. They don't want to get into a slugfest. But I do think Stanford finds a way. I think it's going to go three games. Wouldn't be shocked if Texas wins the first one, but I think Stanford gets out of it. Indiana State, TCU, currently in the bottom of the second right now, 0-0 score. Uh, talk to me about that Super Regional. Can the Sycamores defy the odds? Look, I mean <laughs> – Technically, they're the favorite uh, when you when you look at it by seeding. But you know, DraftKings had TCU, I think, at minus one sixty-five to win the game. TCU is as hot as anybody right now. The way they played in, in the, the Fayetteville Regional, the way they're swinging the bats. Uh, you talk about a team that got hot at the right time. They've got enough pitching. I think TCU is going to win the whole thing. Oregon and Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts, a great story, a four seed. That, that fought their way through Stillwater, Oregon upset Na- uh, Vanderbilt and Nashville. Who, who takes that Super Regional? Well, look, Oral Roberts talked their way out of the Regional. They can probably talk their way out of the Supers. I think they're the better team. Uh, they made it look easy. I mean, Oral just ran through it like it was nothing. Uh, when you look at Oregon, they're a good team. Uh, you know, you, anytime you go to Vanderbilt and you're able to, to beat them twice, uh, or even just win the regional, you're, you're a legitimate contender. Uh, I, I just think at the end of the day, Oral Roberts right now is just a better baseball team. You never know what can happen. Oregon is at home, but that home field advantage, it isn't like it is in some other places, especially the one that Oral just played in. And it was shocking to see the way Oklahoma State got put out. I mean, they got their brains beat in in the second game uh, by Dallas Baptist. But I like Oral Roberts in this one. Tennessee Southern Miss, you know it's going to get crazy when a uh, when when a priest has to go bless the stands the day before. But uh, how does this weekend in Hattiesburg go? Oh, uh, you know what did Dan Fouts say in the the Water Boy? It's the Bourbon Bowl. You can't hold anything back. Look, I'd have had a priest, I'd have had a shaman, I'd have had a rabbi, I'd have had every religion represented blessing the stadium out there. And what's crazy? That's the hottest ticket in the game right now. Uh, when when you look at being able to try and get into it. 
Uh, it looks like Jay Johnson has bought, um, uh, and I know at LSU had, had bought all the uh, students' tickets, whatever. I think something similar has happened there in Southern Miss. And uh, I worked in the Hattiesburg area. They love baseball. Southern Miss got a very good tradition in baseball. You know Tennessee's going to travel. But how ironic would it be if this Tennessee team makes it to Omaha over the one last year that they called the greatest team ever? And lastly, LSU and Kentucky over in Baton Rouge. You know, when they played each other back in April, LSU took two out of three, but it wasn't easy. Uh, how, how does the Super go? Really looking forward to this one, man. I, look, Friday, we, we know how it's going to go down when Skeens is on the mound. I mean, I'm jumping all over the under like a fat kid on a cupcake. I, I like LSU in game one. The question is, are they going to have enough pitching to be able to just win that last game to get to Omaha? If they bash the ball, we know that LSU, the way LSU can, they're going to win it. But, but what has been LSU's Achilles heel? It's been pitching, and Kentucky can hit. Now, you remember how crazy that series was during the regular season. I mean, you had guys hitting home runs and talking trash running to first base, using words I'm not going to use on the radio. But I like LSU. I think you'd be crazy to bet against them in Baton Rouge. Jake Crane, host of Crane & Company. Jake, what's, going on? what's happening on the show next week? And we got a ton of everything. We're talking college football. We're talking, obviously, NBA finals, everything under the sun. Going to uh, have a deep dive in, into what went down in the Super Regionals. I know we'll have some games on Monday as well. So, you know, if you like sports talk the way it used to be, we have a great time. We have live call-ins Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Go to YouTube. Go to DailyWire.com. It's on Daily Wire Plus. It's C-R-A-I-N and company. Come and join us. I think you'll like it. Jake, appreciate your time as always. Have a great weekend, and we'll do it again next week, my friend. You as well, brother. You'll be good. And there he goes, Jake Crane, host of Crane & Company. We'll take a timeout. Ron Mintz joins us next to talk all things PGA Tour and live right here on the game. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 435 broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Let's talk some PGA Tour and the merger with Liv with our guy Ron Mintz of Ron Mintz Golf. Ron, appreciate you joining the show once again. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I hope you are. Absolutely. Thank you. You know, th- this week w- was interesting in the PGA Tour world because the, the way I've said it all week is, you know, for the last 18 to 24 months, it's been like two bickering brothers between the PGA Tour and Liv, and now everybody's sitting around the campfire acting like nothing ever happened. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty good description. It's. Uh, I told somebody yesterday, I said, it's the first time I can remember since I started following golf when I was five years old that the PGA Tour was the leading story on all three major news networks. Uh, so it was a big deal, no doubt. So for, for our listeners that might not fully understand what, what's happening here, uh, just, just kind of walk us through the, the details of this merger. I know there's still a lot to work out, but you know where, does, where do each tour stand and what's kind of happening next with this merger? Well, um, I can only tell you what a lot of people think will happen. The honest truth is right now everyone's confused. I've never seen a story that there were so many different versions of. And uh, you talk to one person and they say, or Greg Norman says, Liv is here to stay. And then you talk, you listen to Jimmy Dunn, who's on the board of the PJ Tour. 
uh, on the Golf Channel yesterday. He says if Jay Monahan wants live to go away, he'll he'll shut it down when he becomes CEO of this this new entity with the Saudi and the, the Public Investment Fund, which is over seven hundred and fifty billion dollars. So they're just a lot of moving parts, and then you've got the Justice Department who's been brought into this to investigate. Would it be an antitrust violation? Uh, just a lot of issues. And then the players. Uh, at the players' meeting Tuesday, there were several players that stood up and demanded Jay to resign, and they all got ovations. And one player said if you had to measure percentage-wise how many were for him to resign, he said 90%. So will Jay even survive with the players. If he loses the players, uh, we'll have a new CEO. So there's just a lot of things going on, and, and nobody really knows where it's going to end. Well, the thing that I found interesting is that the PGA Tour has largely been viewed as kind of a player-led, player-run type of tour, and your bigger names like your Rory McIlroy's and your Jordan Spieth were kind of left in the dark about this merger and I just I didn't think that was fair if you're, you're considering yourself a, a tour and a league where the players kind of have a voice in everything you're exactly right it, the, Jay Monahan technically and it's been that way since 1968 when Arnie and Jack helped start the PGA Tour they split off from PGA of America the players have always run the tour they have a player advisory committee they weren't you know, told about this. Roy and Tiger have been very vocal since Liv even was brought up in a discussion supporting Jay Monahan because a lot of players thought Jay wasn't fighting hard enough. And they they swore their dedication to Jay, but yet Tiger didn't even get a call. Roy got a text from Jimmy Dunn, who was the first person to meet with Piff, as, as everybody's calling it now, uh, in London seven weeks ago. And for people that don't know Jimmy Dunn, he is a Wall Street banking wizard, uh, investment fund. He uh, is president of Seminole Golf Course in Florida. He's very close to all the players, very involved in professional golf. And he texted Roy on Monday night and says, can you talk for a minute in the morning? And Roy says, sure. And Roy's in Canada getting ready for the Canadian Open. This would be his third win in a row there. And so he gets a call from Jimmy at 6.30 in the morning, basically telling him a little bit of what's going on. Uh, Tiger says he found out at 10 a.m., which is when they went on CNBC and and told the world what was going on. So, uh, no, the players weren't consulted, and they're they're very upset about it, and rightly so. Now, obviously, like we mentioned, there, there's still things that need to be worked out. It still needs to come to a vote. Uh, what, what's the likelihood that this gets shut down and doesn't even happen? It's very possible. Uh, it's, it's very confusing, too, because I've been keeping up with it. The last three court rulings have been against Liv uh, because they did not want to open their books to discovery. When you have a a lawsuit like that, the government wants to go in and look at your financials. They didn't want that to happen. The PJ Tour didn't either. But it looked like the PJ Tour was going to win because uh, PIF wouldn't comply. So, on the other hand, the, the Tour has spent 
almost a billion dollars in legal fees fighting these cases. And then to fight, they didn't have anything to offer the players but to increase purses by millions and millions of dollars, the designated events. And that kept them somewhat happy and kept a lot of guys from leaving. But Jay said when this thing started two years ago, and I'll give him credit for this, he said, if we have to fight them financially, we'll never win. We cannot outspend them. And that's been pretty well known from the beginning. So I don't know if he panicked and said, we're not going to run out of money. Jimmy Dunn said they're in the best shape they've ever been, but that's not true. Uh, the numbers just don't add up. So as usual, it's follow the money, and there's where you'll find your answer. Ron Mintz of Ron Mintz Golf joining us here on Crunch Time. You mentioned the RBC Canadian Open going down in Toronto right now. Carl Wan leading the field at 9-under. Rory McIlroy hanging it tight at, for 11th at 6-under. This would be Rory's third consecutive win up in Canada. You know How crucial would that be for Rory to get a win and, and build some confidence headed into the U.S. Open? Oh, it'd be huge. Uh, I think the only reason he's there, though, quite honestly, and he's probably the – well, I know he's the top player there this week. It's not a very strong field because of the U.S. Open. Most of the big guys take the week off. But since he's won the last two, uh, he very much wants to win a third. And I feel sorry for the Canadian Open. You know, last year the focus was away from the Canadian Open that week because the Liv had their first tournament over in London. This year on Tuesday morning, there's been no, very little talk about the Canadian Open since this story broke. So two years in a row they've been overshadowed, which is sad because the Canadian Open is, is a very important part of a professional golf tradition. They do a fantastic job. I was surprised when I went to Canada. I thought everybody loved hockey, but they love their golf. I do. Uh, about a quarter of the radio shows I do each year are in Canada. And they love sports, so I feel sorry for them in a way. Now, you know, as you head into the U.S. Open next weekend, you talked about a lot of the big names, you know, your John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth, all sitting this tournament out. Uh, you know, who, who kind of has the advantage headed into the U.S. Open? I mean, Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm have just dominated the golf world over the last six or so months. Are, are, are they the favorites to win the U.S. Open? They're certainly up there, but I have to say, after what I saw with Brooks Kepka at the PGA, I, I would not count him out. He just dominated that tournament, and uh, he has to be one of the favorites. I haven't looked at the odds or what the experts say, but uh, anyone in the top ten in the world golf ranking is certainly a contender. Ron Mintz of Ron Mintz Golf joining us here on Crunch Time. Ron, really appreciate your time and your insight into this merger. And uh, as we get more details, we'll uh, we'll have you on again to discuss it further. Yeah, it's going to change day to day. I read an article a while ago by Golf Digest. They said the only thing everyone knows is that nobody knows anything. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's still a lot to answer. But, Ron, once again, appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. And there he goes, Ron Mintz of Ron Mintz Golf. Again, there, there's just so much confusion and so much left to to answer in terms of this merger. And like I mentioned, it still has to come to a vote. So there's an outside possibility that it doesn't merge at all. 
and everything just goes back to the way it currently is now with the PGA Tour being one entity and Live Golf being a totally different one. Uh, but we'll go ahead and take a timeout here, 4.45 when we return. We'll talk more about the NBA Finals game for tonight, and we'll get you set for hour number two right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, if you are, then the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. How about a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture or flat screen TV from AVI? and much more. But you have to sign up in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Time is running out, though, as the giveaway ends this Sunday. It's the Ultimate Man Cave Makeover, powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. As we wrap it up, hour number one here in the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. Since NCAA Super Regional starts today and LSU starts tomorrow, how many SEC teams do you think is going to punch their ticket to Omaha? Do you think it's going to be two? think it's going to be three? Or do you think it's going to be four? Because right now, I mean, you guarantee two because you got Kentucky and LSU playing one another, and then you've also got Florida and South Carolina playing one another. So the real difference maker is, does Alabama beat number one Wake Forest? And does Tennessee get past Southern Miss? That's where the real question lies. A lot of people are voting towards three, almost half. The other 38.5% goes towards two, and then 13.5% goes towards four. We did our predictions yesterday, and I ultimately said two because I'm taking LSU, and I believe I'm taking Florida in this one. I can't exactly remember, but I know I took Wake Forest over Alabama, and then I'm going with Southern Miss over Tennessee. I've got three teams. Put your threes up. I've got three okay. teams. Okay. LSU, mm-hmm. Florida, yeah. Tennessee. Yeah. So I've got three teams making it to Omaha out of the SEC. Now, if Southern Miss wins, as a Sunbelt guy, I would be thrilled. Of course. But you love, real, the, you love the fun belt. Realistically, I think it's going to be Tennessee. That's fair. All right. Game four of the NBA Finals is tonight. Mm-hmm. This, then, is a, this is a big time matchup. This is this. Oh, it feels like this game ultimately will decide the series. This decides the series because if Denver goes up three to one, you can just call it here. Fini. You you could just call it here because Denver going up three to one, going back to Denver. Uh, I, I know that Miami won game two in Denver. It was a nice win. However. You're telling me that they win because at this point you would need three Three wins. And two of them being in Denver. Right. Not going to happen. So so to me, you would have to win tonight, get one more in Denver, and then you would want to try and close it out in Miami. Correct. 
Because if you have to go back game seven to Denver, I know we had talked about this before with Boston, but Denver this year has been a completely better team, especially in the playoffs, than Boston. So the threat of going back and being on the road once again for a game seven, I think the fortunes will be different for Miami if it gets to that point. So if you're the Heat, you have to finish this out in six or less. And yeah, I don't I don't think they can. I, I don't think they can either. And then the other side to that coin, or, or to add on to that, you, you talked about it. If Denver goes up three to one, it's over. Another reason why I would say that is because that means your first two games at home, you lost them both. If you can't win at home, what makes you think you're going to win on the road? Right? Right. So if you drop both games in Miami, if you're the Heat, I think you're just going to be completely just dejected and beat up and i think denver's just going to have your way their way with you and it's a gentleman sweep in five games and you feel like bam and jimmy is still going to do their thing correct the big thing though is from miami you're going to need guys like gabe vinson max Struess, caleb martin duncan robinson because you saw duncan went three for six but those were garbage time threes. Correct. So it's like you you almost don't even want to count those because it's like the it's not like he shot those whenever it was a five or two point game. Correct. But when it comes to this, this is the most important game tonight because if Miami loses, you're just gonna call it from there because maybe Miami wins one more in Denver somehow some way. But going to Miami once again, I can't see the win two in a row and then. Right. Making it a whole another series. Speaking uh, as we move on from the NBA Finals, the Houston Astros playing the Cleveland Guardians tonight at Progressive Field, a 6-10 first pitch, 5-40 pregame. Christian Javier on the bump for the Astros. He's 7-1 and on the year with a 2.84 ERA in 69 and two-thirds innings. He has 72 strikeouts, 53 hits. Logan Allen will go for the Guardians. He's 3-2 and two with a 2.76 ERA. In 45 and two-thirds innings, he has 48 hits, 47 strikeouts. Jordan Alvarez, of course, on the IL. So your lineup, Mauricio Dubon will play left field. Alex Jose Altuve, second base. Alex Bregman, third base. Kyle Tucker will back clean up in right field. Jose Abreu at first base. Chaz McCormick returns to the lineup in center field. Jeremy Pena will be the shortstop. Janier Diaz will be the designated hitter. And Martin Maldonado behind the plate for the Houston Astros. I think when you lose a big offensive guy for the next couple of games, you're going to have to lean even more on the pitching. So if, if the Astros are to win either the series or win any of the games, you're going to have to make it like a 2-1, to 3-2 to type of game like you've seen recently. Agreed. Because you can't rely on Bregman to hit Boombas every night, and you especially can't expect martini bombs. No, certainly so not. you're gonna have to really rely on the defense if you can get guys like Yanir Diaz and Corey Jolks to keep up their hitting streak because they've they've been guys that have been gener- generating most of the offense. For sure, if you can get some just bases, you don't have to hit the home runs. If you can get a couple of bases going and get an RBI here or there, you ultimately winning 2-1, to 3-2, just like a small ball type of ball game, and keep it low scoring, you have a chance of winning the series. I'd really sure. like to see Jeremy Pena come alive sooner rather than later. Um, he, is, he has really struggled at the plate lately. 
Um, so I would really like to see him kind of break out of his shell uh, a little bit and come alive offensively. Uh, lineup for the Guardians, Stephen Kwan will bat first, Ahmed Rosario will bat second, Jose Ramirez third, Josh Naylor fourth, Josh Bell fifth, Jimenez sixth, Will Brennan seventh, Mike Zanino will bat eighth, and then Miles Straw, the former Houston Astro, will bat ninth and play in center field for the Guardians. This is game number one of six games in the regular season series. They'll play three in Cleveland this weekend and then will return to Houston on, excuse me, the Astros will go to Cleveland again on July 31st for a three-game set with the Guardians as well. So six games with the Astros and the Guardians. Can the Houston Astros win that season series? Once again, it starts tonight, 6-10 first pitch, 540 with Astro launch, and you can catch it right here on the game. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we're going to come back. We're going to talk with Aaron Gershon at 515 about the LSU and Kentucky Super Regional. We'll also get you set with some MLB games tonight. Continue talking about the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Final. Florida Panthers made history last night. We'll tell you what that is and much more. Hour number one in the books, hour number two, right after this top of the hour sports update right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome in, hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company. That specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Back in our number one, we touched on the Super Regionals. We chatted with our guy Jake Crane. We also talked about the Live PGA merger. Here in our number two, we're going to talk more about the NBA Finals, look at some MLB scores, a preview of the Kentucky Wildcats as they arrived in Baton Rouge yesterday afternoon preparing for the Super Regional against LSU. 2 o'clock tomorrow, first pitch. Pre-game at 1.30 right here on the game. And then we'll get you set for the Houston Astros and the Cleveland Guardians at 5.40. James, before we get to MLB scores, an MLB story that came out the other day, there's a new shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds. He is a 21-year-old from the Dominican Republic. His name is Ellie De La Cruz. And in his second career game, he absolutely mashed a baseball. 458 feet. The ball went 115 miles an hour off of his bat. And the commentators... The eggs of Elo go crazy. The commentators were incredible. And, and, and I quote, Oh goodness... That ball had a family. Now, when a guy hits his first career home run, he wants it. He wants the baseball. And he's willing to give up quite a bit to get it. So for the young man that acquired the baseball out in right field, 
He was brought into the locker room by the Red Staff. And apparently this kid has seen a, a negotiation tutorial a time or two. Uh, because Cat takes business classes. Ma- master negotiator. Uh, he pulled off a signed bat from mm-hmm. De La Cruz. Of course. A signed hat from De La Cruz. Signed photos for him and his friends that attended the ball game. Signed baseballs for him and his friends. And then I even read somewhere later, James, that the Reds could be offering he and his buddies sweet passes <laughs> for a game of their choosing this season. Wow. Now I don't want I don't want to sound like it's not that's not a lot that you're getting for a single baseball. Because it is. But here's the thing. When it comes to when it comes to baseball players and them getting their first home run or getting a milestone home run or a record home run. And you've seen it plenty of times. Fans, like, they get a good haul for that single lone baseball. But it's like, here's the thing. I always feel like you could always get more out of it. I'm not that type of person like, hey, you should be happy with the deal. You got plenty of it. But I'm thinking about it. It's like, if you're De La Cruz, it's like, what are you not willing to give up? To get that baseball, right? That that's always that's always kind of been a question that that's come into my head. Like, what like, is what is the limit? What is a player's limit? Like, okay, I'm willing to sign the bat. I'm willing to sign, like, sign stuff for your friends and pictures and whatnot, and get you sweet. But it's like, what is the cap that a baseball player or a baseball organization is willing? Like, what is the cutoff line for them? How far is stepping? Too far out of line because it's like you have to do whatever you can to get that baseball. You have to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and for for the young man who caught the ball, he had to do whatever he had to do also. Uh he's got a giant bruise on his arm now <laughs> from trying to claw his way to the baseball. Hey, that's sacrifices right there. Um I just saw a picture of him and all of his friends holding their signed baseballs with Ellie De La Cruz standing in the middle of them. And that that's just awesome. You're going to look at that picture 15 years from now if De La Cruz turns into the player that everyone expects him to. And you're going to be like, wow, I remember when I met that guy in his second career game. I remember when we grabbed his first home run. You remember? You we remember, grabbed his first home run ball. You remember when that guy that I don't talk to anymore got his home run ball? Yeah, we... We, we didn't become friends Cause, anymore. Because we've drifted apart over the years and we just don't talk anymore. Oh, man. Fond Mem- memories. Memories. <laughs> Anyways, the Cincinnati Reds will play the St. Louis Cardinals tonight in a Friday night matchup. Also, Yankees-Red Sox. A three-game series between those two bitter rivals gets underway tonight. Rangers-Rays, Royals-Orioles, Nats-Braves. Another good game on the schedule. And then, James, you always look for storylines when when you look at these matchups. And there's a pitching matchup taking place at 8.38 tonight that you can catch if you have Apple TV+. Plus. It is the Seattle Mariners and the Los Angeles Angels. It is going to be Luis Castillo going for the Mariners against Shohei Otani for the Angels. 
pitching matchups don't get a whole lot better than that. Uh, so 8.38 in that one. Also 9.15 late night tonight for the Cubs and Giants. Padres, Rockies as well. Uh, 7.40 first pitch in that one. Nats, Braves at 6.20. Dodgers, Phillies at 6.05. You look at the MLB standings throughout the different divisions. The AL East still very much held by the Tampa Bay Rays. 46-19 and 19 so far on the season. They have a six-and-a-half game lead on the Baltimore Orioles. And yes, the Baltimore Orioles are second in the AL East. It is not the Boston Red Sox or the New York Yankees. The Yankees are third, the Blue Jays are fourth, and Boston's bringing up the pack. 14 games behind Tampa Bay. What does this world come to? Oh, man, I, I don't. I, I couldn't even tell you. Because as far as I can remember, I've just always remembered the Orioles just being a bad team. Absolutely. They've, they've always been a bad team. Well, now they're 38-24 and 24 to Cause, start the season. Because I remember when I was playing baseball, like we were, I would one year we would be the Yankees, or we'd mm-hmm. be the Red Sox, or, mm-hmm. and I remember I would always see other kids like they'd wear the Orioles. I'm like, that's different because I like the orange and black combinations. Right. I'm like, I want, I want to be a part of the Orioles, no, but it's the same thing. But it's the same thing with me when I was playing as the Celtics, and I looked it up and I was like, oh god, they suck. Yeah, the Orioles are bad. Unless they had Cal Ripken Jr., they they weren't. They just weren't right. really good. Uh, but no, just to put you into perspective how good of a start to the year the Orioles are having, they have the same record as the Atlanta Braves. They are 38 and 24. Yeah, they're to start the season. They're doing pretty good. Which 38 and 24 is a better record than your defending World Series champions, the Houston Astros. So, pretty pretty nice start to the season if you're uh if you're in Baltimore. Uh, the Texas Rangers 40 and 21, they have a 5-game lead on the Houston Astros in the AL West. The Braves, like I mentioned, 38-24. They're three and a half games ahead of the, could you guess who? The Miami Marlins in second place in the NL East at 35 and 28. NL Central, the Brewers lead that division 34 and 29. The Pirates, yes, the Pittsburgh Pirates, a game behind them. At 32 and 29. And then in the NL West, Corbin Carroll and the Arizona Diamondbacks, 37 and 25. They have a game and a half lead on the Los Angeles Dodgers. This MLB year so far has been wild. The Diamondbacks lead their division. The Pittsburgh Pirates, who have the number one overall pick in the draft, are second in their division. The Miami Marlins are second in their division. The Orioles are second in their division. And Boston is last. This has been a wild start to the MLB year. What was it called? The Twilight Zone? Feels like we're in the Twilight Zone right now. Yeah. Uh, something, like everything gonna, is it's completely opposite. Was, something's going to have to give. Uh, you're... Leader in, if you look at the league standings overall, the Tampa Bay Rays have a four-game lead on the Texas Rangers. The Astros, nine games back from being the best team in baseball. They currently sit in fifth place behind Tampa, Texas, Baltimore, the and the New York Yankees in the American League. In the National League, the Braves lead it one game ahead of the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Colorado Rockies bringing up the pack at 26 and 38. James, I'm going to give you one guess who's bringing up the pack in the American League. Could Just a, a shot in the dark. 
I'll give you a hint. They're in the Astros division, and they're terrible. The Rangers. No, no. the Rangers lead the division. <laughs> no, I know, I know. I'm just, I'm so used to them being right, right, right. They're they're, ty- they're typically pretty bad. Um, it is not the Mariners. It is the Oakland Athletics. They are a whopping fourteen and fifty. Well, they picked up a couple of wins. Look they have them. a they have a winning percentage of twenty two percent. It feels like yesterday. I still saw they only had ten wins. No, I mean. They it kind of. It feels like I've only been seeing ten wins for a while now. They are on a two-game winning streak, so maybe, just maybe, watch out. Um, no, <laughs> they are thirty-one and a half games out of first place in the American League. Wowzers! We'll take a time out here. Five thirteen. When we return, Aaron Gershon of the Cats Paws two four seven. He'll join us to talk about the Kentucky Wildcats as they prepare to face LSU in the Super Regionals for a spot at Omaha here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to take your lady out for a nice dinner, but you're running low on cash, not to worry. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help with your date night blues. Join the Rewards Club to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse and a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, both located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse. At 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's very simple. So go sign up today. They could debate who should win the MVP, but they'd rather argue who has the best hair in sports talk radio. We just wash the hair. You know, I worked on my hair a long time and you, and you hit it. It hits my hair. Now back to more of the stylish crunch time with Miguez and Mash here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. So now that James has a mullet, should we revisit the best hair conversation? Because now I might be running away with it. I already won it, but now it might just be like a landslide victory for your boy. Right? I mean, you said so yourself. You don't want the mullet anymore. It's pop on, dude. Pop on. Welcome back to Crunch Time 518. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Let's preview the Super Regional between LSU and Kentucky. 2 o'clock tomorrow at Alex Box Stadium. Pre-game at 1.30 right here on the game. It's our guy Aaron Gershon of the Cats Paws 247. Aaron, what's going on, my man? How are you? I'm good, guys. How's it going down there? Oh, uh, another beautiful day where we don't know if it's going to rain or, or, or not. Yeah, right. Um, but no, you, <laughs> you know, you look at Kentucky baseball, typically not, not a baseball school, but you went 40 yeah. and 19, 16 and 14 in the SEC, and w- was able to have some luck in the Lexington Regional, beat Ball State. You fell to Indiana on Saturday and then clawed your way out of the losers bracket beating Indiana twice to advance to this mm-hmm. super regional, J- just kind of talk about the road from when LS- when LSU and Kentucky visited each other in April to now. Yeah, and going a little further than that. I mean, this is not a year any of us expected, and uh, it's a credit to what Nick Mingio and his staff and the players have done. I mean, you and I were texting to set this up, and I told you I had a vacation book next week because I thought. No way they'd be still playing ball right now. So 
credit to them for proving me and, and a lot of people around here wrong. But, you know, since uh, that LSU series, which was very, you know, outside of the first couple innings of game one, was a very competitive series, obviously. Game two, Kentucky wins by three. Uh, game uh, three, LSU wins by one. Kentucky was winning in the seventh inning. Uh, Tommy White does his thing, I believe it was, who had the go-ahead home run. Uh, I know the, the, there was another uh, kid with two home runs in that game. I can't remember who it was, but um, very competitive series. Since then, uh, you know, Kentucky's definitely – it was a little bit of a rough patch than the regular season. I mean, you lose the series at Tennessee, obviously a tough place to play with the dimensions there. Uh, they lost the series to Florida, but they also did sweep South Carolina. So there was some good mix in there, though. It was a little bit of a slump. And then in the SEC tournament, you know, bowing out after one game to Alabama, who I think – uh, it was a combination of Kentucky's bats not showing up that night and Alabama just being the hottest team in the country uh, at that very moment and probably still. So you just tip your cap there. But in the regional, uh, they get off to a really good start. They um, beat Ball State, who, man, their starting pitcher, I know, is only 4 nothing, but uh, that kid should be on an SEC mound. I don't know what he's doing at Ball State. He was incredible. Um, he had a really low ERA in the twos all year. So, uh, they get through that one. They fall in game two to Indiana five to three, which the starting pitcher, Zach Lee, was incredible for Kentucky. He made two mistakes. The home run in the first inning, very first pitch, uh, that he threw. Kentucky was the road team. So not the first pitch of the game, but first pitch he threw. And then one in the seventh inning, uh, a light hitting catcher, Peter Ceruto, with only two home runs all year. Uh, gets one out to, to right field and hits a three-run uh, home run there. So uh, credit to them. But then, you know, Kentucky really had their way from there. They crushed West Virginia 10 nothing. Um, Austin Strickland, 100 pitches, six innings, no runs. Um, they come back. They beat Indiana later in the night, 16-6. to And then Monday night, uh, 4-2 game. But you just credit Kentucky's pitching, especially Mason Moore, who in that regional 10 innings, no runs, was perfect in five against Ball State, scoreless in five against Indiana, throwing 94-mile-an-hour sinkers that uh, really just confused hitters. So props to Kentucky for getting here. You know, the teams that you had to face in, in the Lexington Regional, you talked about West Virginia. Obviously, you played Indiana three times. Uh, yep. You know, what did those teams do well that maybe helped prepare the Wildcats to face LSU this weekend? <laughs> I think that they're all different animals than LSU, obviously, but I think – uh, the, the two things that stood out were there was some star power there. Not, you know, up and down the lineup like LSU has, but J.J. Weatherholt uh, is a Golden Spikes nominee, hit over 440, I believe, uh, set the West Virginia single-season hit record, Big 12 player of the year. Uh, he was awesome. So they got a taste of what it's going to be like uh, to face a superstar, uh, but they're going to have to face like five not guys who are, I think Cruz is on Weatherholt's level, if not better, but uh, Weatherholt's as good as it gets in the country. And then, you know, Phil Glasser from Indiana, too, just a hit machine. So you got a little bit of taste of that. And they got to face a lot of left-handed pitching, which has been kind of their bugaboo all year. They've struggled when they faced really tough lefties. Uh, and they've kind of feasted off righties. And they saw a lot of lefties because uh, the opposing teams obviously knew that was a weakness and threw all the ones they could get out there. And, you know, Indiana's. Um, uh, was in Ty Bothwell pitched really well uh, against Kentucky, but they also did some pretty good things against lefties. So I think those were the two biggest things. But, you know, Indiana, West Virginia, pretty good teams. Ball State, obviously, credit to them for winning the MAC, and they have an ace that they faced. But, man, uh, <laughs> none of them were LSU. You know, when you, when you look at Super Regionals, especially when it's a team that you've played before during the season, you always say to throw the previous matchup out of the window. 
And mm. and I agree that, that both teams probably should. However, what what lessons did Kentucky maybe learn or, or what could they take away from that first series in Baton Rouge two months ago that they may be able to apply this weekend? Yeah, I think the main thing they kind of talked about here before they left was just knowing what they're up against. Uh, because they before this, because how this team's assembled is a bunch of transfer portal kids. I think it's thirteen, and that's the majority of their offense. And then they they're really young, uh, pitching wise. So, or except for Darren Williams, who's a seventh year guy, but he was a transfer from Eastern Kentucky uh, two years ago. So before uh, the series uh, in April, only one player on the entire roster had ever been. Uh, to Alex Box, and I believe it was Zach Heiss, the transfer from Missouri. So really, really didn't know what to expect, knowing it's probably one of, if not the best, uh, atmosphere in college baseball. So I think familiarity of just knowing the surroundings, knowing what the vibe is going to be like, and not obviously be turned up because it's the playoffs, but um, I, I think that's the biggest thing for them, more so than what happened on the field. But I do think it can help to say, hey, you know, we were right there for two games, and really all but – four innings when LSU just clobbered uh, Kentucky in the first four innings of game one and took a 14-1 lead and really gave UK no shot. And obviously, you know, they scored four runs off of Skeens, but, you know, was Skeens pitching a little differently because his bleed was so big? Uh, I think you throw that part of it out the window and you still, you know, you throw out the fact you lost two to three out the window, but just having been there and going toe-to-toe with the beast down there, I think – I think that could help a little bit. Chatting with Aaron Gershon of the Cats Pauls 247 here on, on Crunch Time. Where do you think Kentucky, the, the Wildcat offense, you know, obviously a lot of small ball, not not really much of a power-hitting yeah. team. They're going to manufacture runs, uh, be active on the base paths. How do you think that style of baseball, you know, could, could really give your opposition, especially with LSU, some issues? Yeah, I mean, I think – it was a little interesting. I think as the season's gone on, teams have defended Kentucky a little bit better and better, and we actually saw them finally show some pop um, in the two games that they won on Sunday in the regional. I forget how many home runs they hit, but it was a good amount. So I think that was good to see. So maybe that can just, you know, you can put that on tape and say, hey, you know, we can hit it out too. We can hit doubles too. We're not only going to play small ball. So that might be able to help kind of bring back the unpredictability of things they're going to do. But yeah, like you said, the bread and butter is getting on base and causing havoc when they do so, whether that's sack bunt where they led the SEC in, whether that's stealing bases, going first to third when it doesn't seem like they should be going first to third, when they're going first to home on plays in the gap that don't necessarily think you're going to go home and you make the defense to make a play, and if they do, tip your cap. So um, I think, you know, I think the fact that they were able to hit for some power in regional is good because it can, you know, like I said, throw things off and maybe, you know, you can't assume they're going to bunt every time. You know, they were, they did hit for some slugging situations that earlier in the year would have been sack bunt situations. So maybe that'll help them. But uh, I think at this point, you know, the cat is out of the bag. Everyone knows what Kentucky wants to do. LSU saw it firsthand what Kentucky wants to do. So you're going to have to get creative or just execute at a super high level. What have been your thoughts on the rest of the regionals? Uh, you know, Florida, South Carolina, an all-SEC yeah. matchup. Obviously, Tennessee and Southern Miss. There's been some controversy behind that Super Regional. What is your yeah. expectation for the weekend? 
Yeah, I think it should be a lot of fun. I mean, I know the one that bummed me out the most was Indiana State TCU. That Indiana State had to bow at a host thing just because it's such a cool story that they had going up, up up there. And I know TCU jumped on them early today, but, uh, you know, that one's a little bit of a bummer. But, yeah, Tennessee Southern Miss, see if Tennessee uses that one as motivation and just see how many of these SEC teams could get in. I forget what the max number is, if it's four. I know two are guaranteed, obviously, with Kentucky and LSU facing off and then Florida and uh, South Carolina. Um, but really just excited to see how many teams that the SEC sends because seeing all these teams all year, and knowing how good a conference is, man, it's a, it's, it's a grind. And it's fun for Kentucky to finally be in the thick of things when they've been the bottom feeders the last four or five years. Aaron Gershon of the Cats Paws 247 joining us here on Crunch Time. Aaron, before I let you run, man, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, give me a prediction for this weekend. Who wins the Super and in how many games? Well, I think LSU is going to win it. I just think Kentucky, you know, they, they're playing great. They're a great story, but – you know, the teams they had to beat in that regional and the way they pitched against them, you know, to be able to just have that success against LSU. LSU's lineup is, uh, I think, probably second best in the country behind Florida, in my opinion. Uh, I know the stats are really close in both. I just seeing Florida, I have to give them a slight edge, but uh, LSU, man, I mean, that lineup and Dylan Cruz is the best player in baseball, in college baseball, that is, and he's going to be the number one draft pick. So uh, I just think that lineup's too deep. I think Kentucky has three really good pitchers but after that it really thins out and if one of those guys gets into trouble uh, i think it could smell trouble for the game so you know i'll give kentucky the fact you know they keep surprising me so i'll say they'll get it to three uh but i gotta go lsu aaron appreciate your time and enjoy the games this weekend uh enjoy your vacation next week and uh <laughs> we'll talk soon all right man take care and there he goes, Aaron Gershon of the Cats Pause 247. Real quick before we take a timeout, James. So th- there's been talk recently in the NFL about new stadiums. Buffalo obviously building a new stadium. Now Jacksonville wants in on, on, on the new stadium snafu. Supposedly they have raised close to a billion dollars for the stadium project. But what's going to be interesting is they're going to renovate or build over, should I say, where TIAA Bank Field is. So the Jaguars are going to need a place to play for a year or two. So get a load of this. Jacksonville has contacted... Daytona International Speedway about borrowing the grass infield at Daytona as their football stadium for a year or two. Huh? I would have thought they would have been like, hey, New Orleans, I know we let y'all borrow our field week one when y'all played the Packers and 2021 so it's like hey can we borrow your field for a couple of games and maybe ask like the bucks hey can we borrow your home stadium for a couple of games like just ask the surrounding teams like hey can we borrow your stadium for a game or two while we renovate ours i right and you would have you would have thought that that would have been the way that they would have maybe gone about it nah but no they're they're gonna see if they can nascar have some have some fun at Daytona. I mean, obviously the infield at Daytona is is big enough. 
uh, to to put a hundred yard football field on. It just doesn't feel right. But but the the whole idea of it is kind of odd, especially when a couple of years ago the um there was a college football game between Tennessee and Vanderbilt that got played at Bristol. Now was it a cool setup? Absolutely, but it was just a little bit odd. A total makeover of TIAA Bank Field with a roof canopy is projected to cost between $1.3 billion to $1.4 billion, with the Jacksonville Jaguars proposing to pay a third of the price. Uh, the Jaguars plan to meet with Daytona International Speedway officials in the coming weeks about the possibility of using the racetrack as a temporary home stadium for the NFL team for two years as they renovate TIAA Bank Field. Interesting. This is also like the fifth or sixth time that they've renovated since the Jags have become a team. Just like 25 years ago. It hasn't been that long. Yeah, that's why it's like, you're renovating again? Right, right. Every, what, is, what is wrong with your stadium if you keep renovating it so much? But Before long, everybody's going to have a dome. There's going to be a canopy or, or a dome on every stadium in the league. Which I know it's... And here's the thing is, I know you kind of would lose the effect of old school yeah but then you don't have to deal with anything i know i know and it's like you won't have if if everyone goes to a dome you wouldn't have any more snow games you wouldn't have those classic mud games or whatever and i know you would lose it but to me it's like it's the same thing with baseball i'm tired of having these like two three hour rainouts. you know if you wanted to create a snow game every now and again just take some fake snow pour it in and then you don't have to deal with the cold correct Correct. You want you want to mimic a snow game? Just go go to Walmart, buy those bags of the fake snow, spread it out. It'd be fine. I'm I'm kidding, of course. Please don't do that. Um, look, man, maybe maybe it's time football changes. Maybe you just turn on the air condition. Maybe it becomes an indoor game, and you know that just. I mean, we see it with a lot of other different types of football, like when we saw the arena football, okay. fan control football. Correct. Like all those leagues were strictly dome. Correct. Especially in the NFL. Just just put everybody in a dome. College, if, if you want to keep open roof stadiums and, you know, it snows and elements and what, great, cool, all for it. The NFL, just let everybody play in a dome. We'll take a time out 533. We'll come back. We'll wrap up today's show and get you set for the Astros and the Guardians right here on the game. The Dell Technologies Summer Sale event is on with limited quantity deals on top tech. Save on select PCs powered by the latest Intel Core processors like thin and light XPS 13 laptops, Inspiron laptops, and 2-in-1s. Plus, get savings on select accessories, free shipping, and monthly payment options with Dell Preferred Account. It's the perfect season to power your passions during Dell's Summer Sale event. Save today by calling 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. Offer to U.S. residents by WebBank who determines qualifications for and terms of credit. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. 
Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. It's 538. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. We got two minutes left till we roll on into the weekend. Astros, Guardians, James. We're not going to be able to talk again until Monday. So they're going to play three games between now and then. How many games do the Astros win? And who has a big weekend? Give me two out of three for the Astros. I like it. I like it. Big, big weekend overall. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I really want Jeremy Pena to have a really good weekend. I would love it for him. I'd love Alex Bregman to kind of kill it. I'll, I'd, I'll probably just go with uh, – I'll go with Corey. I'm going to say two out of three as well. Okay. And I'm going to say Jeremy Pena has a big weekend. Okay. The reason that I say that is because – It's weird because that's a bold take and it's not the same time. Tonight when I go to the movies, mm-hmm. I'll wear my Jeremy Pena jersey. For good luck. And maybe some juju will rub off on him. Mm. So. All right, Ricky Bobby. Let's see it. If you ain't first. You're last. You're last. Absolutely. Shake and bake. Shake and bake, baby. I want to take this opportunity to thank our guest, Jake Crane, for joining us each and every Friday for Jake's Takes. Ron Mintz talking the PGA Tour and Liv and Aaron Gershon previewing the Super Regional between LSU and Kentucky. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, and give a hug to your mom and them. And we're back on Monday, 4 to 6 Right here on the game, it's 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Tigers at 1.30 tomorrow. Astros right now, let's go to Rock City and the voice of the Astros, Steve Robert Ford and Steve Sparks.